Make a move it, then she'll call him. Forest fires, Google's ballin'. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM player, find you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. Well, okay, I said I wasn't going to return to podcasting for a while, but I had to get another one out because, well, of course, I got a load of other call-ins and I realised I completely forgot to talk about the thing I wanted to talk about the other day. Uh, well, we're still in the, in the ap- apocalypse. This is my second apocalypse cast. The, the sky is no longer orange, but there's now a bad air quality warning. Apparently the ash is settling, the dust is settling. And uh, so we haven't got the end of the world skies, but um, we might die if we breathe the air. It's kind of like a miniature sort of nuclear fallout scenario. (laughs) No, not quite as bad, but anyway. Gosh, my, my breathing was labored, maybe it is bad. Maybe I'm just unfit. So, I'm going to play a bunch of call-ins. But um, the thing I really wanted to talk about was I started a new game. Now, any of my players who are my regulars, who I've had to dial back on, um, do not feel hurt or put out, please. Um, It isn't an evening game, it's a daytime game. And um, the reason I'm saying this is that I've kind of put on hiatus a couple of my evening games because I was just playing too many evening games in a row. And the problem is, well, for me at least, even though I'm only playing two-hour sessions and we finish by sort of 10 p.m. my time, I'm just too hyped up to sleep. And then, and then I, I'm, I'm super tired because, I, you know, we have a, our own organic alarm clock. So no matter when I go to bed or get to sleep, and sometimes it's like 12.30 by the time I've managed to wind down and get my get into that, you know, alpha, beta, wave, whatever it's called. Um, yeah, so getting by on five hours sleep, like night after night after night, is not good. It's not good for anyone. So, so I've basically had to cancel a couple of, or postpone a couple of my games. But, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was I wanted to run a Monday morning game. Monday morning. Goodness me. At some point, I won't be able to run Monday morning games anymore, but right now I can. So this is something I've been wanting to do for a while. I'm, um, I'm running a game for Spike Pit, Colin Spike Pit Green, Spencer Freethrall, Barney of Loco Ludus, and most worryingly, I suppose, for me, um, Scott Dorwood. So <laughs> all four of these wonderful people have kindly agreed to play a Call of Cthulhu scenario for me. So, so here's me um, running a game for, for three of the great anchor podcasters, plus the guy that basically wrote um, Martyrs of Nihilathotep, or at least largely contributed to it. So yeah, talk about hu- hubris, eh? 
<laughs> and what's 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 kind of makes it worse is that I'm running a white dwarf scenario from 1984 from issue 50 called The Watchers at Walberswick. And it was a and I agreed to run the scenario or I'd planned to run the scenario rather before I'd even really read it. I'd had it for I, I had it, I bought I bought the, the issue in 1984 and I'd had it ever since, but I'd never really read it. But it just appealed to me. It really appealed to me. It was so there's something really evocative about it. And then many, many, many years later, I I discovered all other kinds of things about it. Weird synchronicities and coincidences. Now obviously Walberswick, for those of you that don't know, is a small village on the Suffolk coast between very close to right next to Southwold which is quite well known and um, also very close to Dunwich to Dunwich okay so those of you that know your Cthulhu Dunwich Dunwich is a pretty important place now of course the Dunwich that Lovecraft set at least one major story in is pronounced Dunwich which of course would be the sort of American um pronunciation and because obviously in 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 england you don't pronounce the w when it's a witch so it's norwich or um dunwich although depends uh, i guess it depends on the letters for it because you you because ipswich is pronounced ipswich i the in Pronunciations of English are completely insane, aren't they, really? But anyway, we pronounce it Dunwich, or at least the town is pronounced Dunwich. But, but the Dunwich in, in New England should be pronounced Dunwich, to my mind, because it's, that's how it would be pronounced there. Um, and I find it a bit annoying when I hear someone say, call it the Dunwich Horror. It's not the Dunwich Horror, it's the Dunwich Horror. If it was set in Sus Sussex... Sorry, uh, if it was set in Suffolk, it would be Dunwich. Anyway, so <laughs> it's in this tiny little town called Walberswick. And the weird thing is, one of my old friends from university, his, his, um, his family come from Walberswick, and that's where he got married, <laughs> which was really weird. Uh, I went to a wedding there, and, um, and uh, so I sent him the map from this thing, which has an interesting addition, let's say. And he, he replied to me saying, oh, I never knew about that. I didn't, and I was thinking, no, of course you didn't, because it's, it's something built by, by a Cthulhu mythos entity. Uh, anyway, the other weird thing is, there's a character in it called Simon Franklin. And this was another very old friend of mine when I was about six years old, one of our best friend, my best, our best friends were the Franklins and their son was called Simon. So just weird now I'm reading it. But the problem is, having read it, I realised there's not really an adventure there. Well, not really. It's just some locations. Um, it's more like an English tourist board guide to, to the Suffolk coast than a Cthulhu mythos story. Uh... I got uh, hoist by my own petard there. So, the game went okay, I thought. It went okay. Um, I, I'll give a, a, an after-play report at the end of this. Um, I think all the players were great. I, I don't think I was great. <laughs> um, but, uh, 
as long as everyone has fun, I suppose that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, fun. But um, no, I'll give a proper report um, at the end of this. But um, first, I really just wanted to um, to play uh, at least some of the rest of the voice m- messages I got because uh, there's some uh, there's a whole bunch of really um, nice messages to come as well. As much as I would like to hear you rap, I'm sure you do a better job than I would. I'll challenge you, if you put out a whole episode where you rhyme, the entire thing is in rhyme, I'll, I'll do the same. Think about it. This is a golden opportunity, my friend. Yeah, boy! <laughs> you know what, Andy? I thought you were going to do that. Andy, I'm eight minutes in to your Edge episode, and the only artist name I've recognized so far is Blondie. So, as as much as that might horrify you, I mean, you know, I'm I'm like all kids. I, I listened to NWA and Run DMC and stuff like that as a kid. But, well, as a little bit older. But anyway, point being, the point isn't the fact that it's a bad thing that I only recognize Blondie eight hour or eight minutes into your show. The good thing is now I have all these other bands I get to look up on the internet and listen to. So. Now I have to go back, re-listen the first eight minutes to take notes. Although, Shawadi Wadi is something I'm not going to forget. So I don't have to write that one down. But I need to write the others down so I can look all this stuff up. So, thank you. Hi Andy, Spencer here. I know you've spoken about um, the absence of good Indian food in the States before. and um, but, but mentioning cream there reminds me of uh, the fact that we tried to buy cream, you know, like double cream, I think it was, in an American, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, food store? Um, And we couldn't find it. I think the best thing we could come up with is like something called half and half. Um, And it got me thinking, can you even buy cream cakes? I mean, proper, fresh cream cakes in America. Just a thought. Andy, I got the end of your Edge episode. You're wrong on three and four, kind of. You're 100%, no, you're 1,000% right on number five. I've always said that I'll let anybody play at my table. I don't care who you are, but as soon as you're mean or rude or, you know, give other players a problem you're gone and you don't get to come back and the reason I say that is people can change yes it's rare for an adult to change but it's possible but if you don't give them the chance if you don't include them in the conversation there's no way they're going to change but so you, you know what if Alexander Macris wanted to come to my table he damn sure could but if and and, and to be honest from my understanding he's pretty inclusive in his company so whatever but if he so I doubt he would be rude to other players at the table but if he did anything to be rude to somebody on the table then he'd be gone but until then he's welcome but I agree with you as soon as somebody's does anything off color outputting lecherous whatever to somebody else on the table they're out of there period no no you know do not pass go do not collect two hundred dollars yada 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 as far as three and four Collins have a discussion on three right now the idea of helping each other out when you're Sid, Q, 
keep giving other players ideas. They need that help, Sid. Don't listen to your GM. He'll just kill you. And, and, and he's doing it out of spite because he knows he's wrong. Um, no, I think that's a discussion. I think maybe you, either Spike Pitt comes on your, Colin comes on your episode, or you go on Colin's show. And I think that's a conversation the two of you could have because I think that's an interesting discussion. Other players helping, play, and that goes in the meta, right? So I think four and five are intertwined. And players helping each other out with ideas isn't necessarily a bad thing because, and you've even touched on this on your show, and I've got to leave another message. And that's the idea that your characters have days or hours to study something where, character, where players just have minutes. So you talked about this during your investigation episode. And so how do we simulate that extra effort that the characters are putting into something the players can't? Well, you let the players collaborate, and that's how you do that. So I think there's a conversation we had there, you know, between you and Colin, you, Colin, and me. Um, I don't know. I, we could probably find some other people to talk it. But but I think that's a good conversation to have, and I think it would make good podcasting. I think having that conversation back and forth about player collaboration and, and whether it ruins immersion. Obviously, your, 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 um, Sid and, and all your players are getting immersed. Look at how they react to death. So if they're doing that table talk and still that immersed, then obviously it doesn't break immersion, huh? Huh, huh, huh. Okay, thank you. Talk to you later, Andy. Hey, Andy. Daniel from New York, replying to your Edge uh, podcast. About the metagaming part, anyways, at least the way you describe it. I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's two stages when you're playing the game. There's the in the scene, and then there's the between scenes. And I think between scenes, the out-of-character conversation between the group is totally fine, and I think it works. I mean, at least it, the way that, that I perceive it. I think staying in character for the entire session is just really taxing, at least for me, and I definitely can't do it. Uh, but I do I do agree if you're in scene. If you're literally role-playing with a conversation with an NPC and then all of a sudden you stop and start having a discussion about the next thing you should say, yeah, that would be pretty terrible. But I think between scenes, I think it's fine to be out of character, and that doesn't take me out of the game at all as a player or a GM. Hi, Andy. Just wanted to thank you for another amazing episode all about humour. I was thinking about what you said about with Derek and Clive and you can't really do that sort of thing anymore uh, but I think there are people still working in that vein someone like Stuart Lee who got into a lot of trouble for Jerry Springer the opera being blasphemous and he used to have this wonderful routine about vomiting into the gaping arsehole of Christ um, and Frankie Boyle, who's made his name by saying the most outrageous things on stage. But if you know anything about the guy's politics, and, uh, you know, that's very much a uh, a persona, stage persona, this sort of, uh, yeah, misanthrope. Um, he does these wonderful political monologues on his New World Order show. Um then there's characters like Louis C.K., who, big problems there. Whether he can get on stage again and be funny, I don't know whether that's possible, but I can't say that I didn't used to laugh at the guy. Very funny material he used to do. Um, and you've got Dave Chappelle, whose recent HBO thing was really, really interesting. Great stuff that he was doing and I think he, he you know he came in for a lot of 
criticism for that routine. But I just, I thought that was great stuff. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for that episode. Just wonderful. Hey, Andy. Daniel in New York. Replying to your Lever episode. I mean, you'll probably not be surprised by this, but we are definitely uh, in disagreement about the idea of getting players to do what you want them to do. Uh, but I also think it's probably just the way you're saying it. Uh, you know, I think really what you're trying to do as a GM is to get the players interested in the things that are important to the adventure that you have kind of set up. Um, and by doing that, they, they will do the things that need to happen, at least on some level. Uh, at least that's been my experience. I guess if you're running a shorter uh, adventure, you know, within a certain time frame and you only have so much time, or you're running something that's very much a railroad, <clears throat> call Cthulhu, uh, then sure, I, I can see what you're saying, but it's just not my my thing to do that to players. Hey Andy, Daniel again, finished listening to that episode. So I think the three um, tips you gave are good. I mean, the first one is basically just wandering monsters. Hello, original Dungeons and Dragons, right? They're sitting around too long, something attacks them or encounters them. The second one I think is actually really interesting and hard to do. To make a, a group of PCs really like an NPC can be tricky. Uh, I actually think trickier than the last one you say because I guess it's how you look at it, right? If you're looking at a pre-written campaign, again, you already have a bad guy, then maybe it's hard to make them hate him um, or have any kind of connection to them. But I generally make the big bad, although I hate that term, in my campaign, whoever the characters decide they hate. I've never actually started with one. It's always, they have some kind of an interaction with somebody who's minor that gets away, and then that becomes their quest. They choose that they hate him. Hey, Andy, it's Jay. Uh, just listened to Investigate. And um, I just wanted to say, actually, that that apocryphal, you, you said apocryphal GM who uh, who uh, kind of like, you know, they fail the role on whatever, and then he doesn't give them the clue, and then the whole thing grinds to a halt. It's not apocryphal. I've played with that GM. Um, I actually, I've, I've have, uh, what was it three memories from convention games of bad called coup GMs. Two of them did that. And, and, um, yeah, essentially they made us roll for everything. And then when we failed our rolls, kind of sat there smugly going, well, you don't find anything out. So I remember one game ending after about, it's supposed to be like a four hour session. I think it ended after about 50 minutes because we all just got up because it was like, oh, can't be bothered. Obviously can't do anything. Um, and by the way, on the idea role, I also remember um, being with a group, well, you know, because investigation can be really hard, um, where we couldn't figure out stuff. And the GM just made us like do each idea role, which I think goes back to the 80s. I'm pretty sure that the idea role was in Cthulhu from the beginning. But anyway, um, where, you know, the players sit there going, I don't know, we have no idea. And they go, I'll make an idea role and then, you know, kind of like give us the answer. And essentially the game turned into a series of idea roles where we just, basically waited for the GM to give us the answer and move to the next scene um, just to get through the damn thing because it was just so frustratingly boring. Um, so, you know, you're obviously much better at uh, illusionism and creating the railroad so that it, it doesn't look quite so dull. Um, but essentially, you know, if, if, if the investigation is a trail of breadcrumbs and you just have to follow it and the GM is just going to, like, give it to you every single time one way or the other... Isn't that the definition of a railroad? I don't know. Um, yeah, I find investigations difficult. And um, and I guess the, the whole meta thing is mm, not exactly exciting to me. But maybe um, I'm in a minority. I don't know. Anyway, mate. 
Thanks for the episode. Game on. So I guess I uh, I just kind of wanted to add. I I feel like um, investigations are something that GMs love. Um, I think you're probably right in your hunch that players find that difficult, and um, I think you know like that's why the three clue rule and all these other little techniques are so useful and good. Um, I think the problem for me is when the investigation is the thread, uh, then it becomes like a sort of driven thing. I think that uh, mysteries around um, in, a, in a world are interesting and you can decide to pick up those and follow those tre- threads and then it becomes kind of like your agency to, to choose to take that on. But when it's the only thing, when it is the driving force of the entire game, I feel like then it's a case of um, you know you're you're suck as a player if you can't keep along the trail, especially when you know in your heart the GM is just feeding you all the clues anyway, and you're even that dim that you can't see them. So, I think you know Cthulhu is a GM's game, but that's my opinion. Anyway, game on. Wait, wait, good sir. How? What? What? A, a dr- wanting to ride a dragon is a childish desire. Good sir, my second will be by so that we can discuss taking a rowboat out to Weehawken, New Jersey. I suggest you bring whatever dice you feel necessary to, do, to conduct a duel. Because this will not stand. This will not absolutely... <laughs> childish? Dragons? Wanting to ride a dragon is childish? Yes, yes. Designate someone as your second. This, this will, what system would you like to duel in? What dice should I bring? My honor has been has been tarnished. And only dice can make it right. Good day. Hi Andy. You called me a while back, so it's high time that I call you a while on. Um first up, I'm just going to admit that I am I well, I mean, I'm a terrible RPG a day podcaster, right? You know, to the point of zero, and I'm I'm a kind of comparably bad listener of RPG a day podcasts. So I thought I would confess that to you. First, I think, I think that, well, anyway, I'll just go to another message. I have tried to keep up with these episodes, but it's not always easy. I don't find, I don't find it easy. And I'm just, just being completely honest with you. Your intro to RPG a day, your RPG a day episodes, I, I don't know. It's maybe it's it's the mythos working there somehow. I don't know what's going on. Um, I are you are you always gonna do intros like that? <laughs> anyway, all of that crap aside, the reason I'm calling is to say that I am super excited about the Cthulhu game coming up. Uh, our sessions doing that. I'm super excited about rolling up a character. I'm not quite sure if I should use the online generator or if I should do it myself. Um, it's going to be a time aspect, really, I think. 
see how it goes. But the but forming in my mind this member of the archaeological society, I think I'm just going to create a real piece of shit, a real piece of shit, um, who has very little talent and is just really shady. And this is going to be, a, a, you know, way beyond, way beyond my character whose name I've forgotten, the Canadian French guy, I can't remember. Anton Quebec. Anton Quebec. I knew I had it in there somewhere. I knew it. Anton Quebec. So, you know, he had some redeeming qualities. I'm just thinking of coming up with someone who has no redeeming qualities. Does Is that all right with you? I hope it is, because that's what I'm that's what I'm feeling right now as I as I as I meditate on this this character. Um, I'm really looking forward to when we can get back to appendicitis. Oh, and I wanted to ask as well, are, are these is this game another AP or is it just just happening? What what's what's the deal there, Andy? Anyway, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Directly, 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 directly. So what a panoply of messages that was. And that's not even all of them. I might have to do another episode. But we'll see. So Jason Spencer, more Jason, a few Daniels. Um, a couple of Chays, a, a wild Judd, and a and a bunch of Barneys. And wasn't that a bunch of Barneys there at the end? And um, so it kind of nicely brings us back to uh, to the game. And and we we played our first session. As I said, I didn't think I did a particularly good job. Um, the reason is I I think I was um, I think I was talking too much. I don't know. Obviously, when you when you, when you play the first session, it's kind of on you as the GM to set the scene, to guide the players into the setting and into the story. But I have a bad habit, I think, of just hogging the limelight a bit, and I should have let the guys speak more. I think I actually recorded it, listened back, and it was fine. It was fun, but I think I spoke too much, and I and I, I'm going to shut my gob a bit more next session because you know Barney made. Um, Barney made an absolutely extraordinary character. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to remember what the character's name was. Sir Hector Risby Ickwell. Sir Hector Risby Ickwell, who was an absolute shit. And he was trying, um, in character, to derail the whole story right from the beginning. And it was beautiful. Um, I might put the actual play up sort of soon, or maybe not. I mean, the guys played their characters so well. Um, uh, Spencer played Milton Blythe, I think his name was. Bly, Milton Bly, can't remember. Um, who was uh, who was this uh, archaeologist? Another archaeologist, but a real archaeologist this time. And uh, and um, he was he was quite uh, quite a dry, witty character. C- Colin played um, Badger. Badger Jarvis, an outdoorsman and, and woodworker, woodcarver, um, who was uh, quite ballsy and in your face, and um, uh, and Scott. I actually made a character for Scott because I, you know, he 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 was too busy to make one. I I sent him a pregen called Emery Watson, 
And then we realized he was a doctor. And then we realized he was Dr. Watson. And that was like a, a slap forehead time. So I'm trying not to call him Dr. Watson. I'm trying to call him Dr. Emery when I can. And and uh, he was a very dismissive chap. Um, and the dynamic between the four of them is great. And I really should let that breathe a bit more. But what has been really good, and I was actually pretty nervous about this beforehand, was that, as I said, the the scenario itself is incredibly flimsy. There's literally almost nothing to it. Um, so I've added a few like pieces in, but pretty much everything else, we're just kind of improvising, going with the flow. And, and it's been great, but I was nervous about it because I thought, holy shit, I'm playing a game with one of the authors of Call of Cthulhu, and I'm playing with, with three real stars of gaming and podcasting, and surely they'll expect more than something just, just pulled out of my ass kind of thing. <laughs> but of course, we're playing off each other and reacting, and it's great. And I'll give a little spoiler um, for those who haven't listened. Uh, well, the episode isn't even up, so of course it's a spoiler. But, um, you know, the, the whole thing is, is centered around um, a, a member of the Bedford Archaeological and Research Society, the BARS, um, bars um, finding this unidentifiable bone in this tiny little local museum in Wolberswick. Um, and immediately Hector Risby Ixwell um, declares that um, that it was that he actually donated the bone or he sold the bone <laughs> to, the, to the museum, which of course, like if that's the way we go, it completely derails the scenario. So now there's going to be a, a bit of tension because they're obviously realizing he's a complete liar and a charlatan, or maybe he isn't. Maybe he did donate it. If he did, what does that mean for the scenario? Um. So, yeah, um, of course, he's also pretending that he owns all of the land that this that Wolberswick is on. But there is a Lord of the Manor that I kind of inserted as an extra character. And there's going to be some fun and games there, I'm sure. I'm almost more interested in see what happens when Sir Hector Risby Ixwell goes and confronts the, um, the Lord of the Manor, a certain Lord or a certain Sir Chesney Hawk is his name. No relation. And... Um, and I'm almost more interested to see what happens there than what happens with the Cthulhu stuff. We were actually joking that um, it's sort of turning into um, Last of the Summer Wine, the RPG. And, um, and I thought, you know what, that's great. That's great. No, no mythos, no violence, no mysteries, just four old codgers um, complaining <laughs> about things. That would be, yeah... Maybe that would make such a good RPG. But we were having fun. I was doing my accents again. I, I'm now stuck with my Lancashire accent. I can't see... I kept trying to do a sort of West Country accent, which isn't right for Suffolk, but it's close-ish. A real Suffolk accent's quite subtle and, and, and hard, and I can't do it. So I was trying to do a West Country... You know, a West Country burr. You know, a sort of a... You know, almost a pirate. Almost a pirate accent. Uh, you know, we're bringing in the corn, uh, you know, and, uh, and going out on the boat. And, but, um, but it kept slipping into, into my bloody Lancashire accent. So everyone there, I reckon what it is then is that everyone in Walberswick, they're all bloody, they're all, they're all bloody, you know, expats, as it were, from, from, the, from, the, from the country of Lancashire. Will come down for the mild winters, I suppose. So, so yeah, I keep slipping, and, um, well, we'll see where we go with that, but um, yeah. But anyway, I really enjoyed it. I, as I said, I didn't feel like I I, I, I did myself too proud. 
Um, you know, when you've got players that really are very much story drivers, story motivators, you just let them run. You you don't get in the way. Uh, and I should know that by now. Um, so, guys, I'm sorry if if I tr- stepped on stepped on anyone um, with my you know uh, narcissistic grandstanding. <laughs> um, I will be better next next time. I promise. Which will be uh, in a few days' time, and I'm so looking forward to that. What a wonderful honour to play with four such incredible gentlemen. So, see you next time. It's a game.